all those sports are very high risk level. Like mountain biking, especially if you're mountain biking in North Vancouver, which is like the mecca of mountain biking, it's a very difficult terrain. So for me to go from 2020, not knowing how to bike to 2021, being able to ride some of the black steep trails and scary trails uh when you know when you're hiking up it you're like i can't believe people ride that on a bike and that was in my initial assumption so for me it's just more those sports allows me to see my progression but also challenge me in terms of how brave i feel and what is my brave level There's something really cool happening in the Vancouver area. A collective of Black, Indigenous, POC, and LGBTQ2S adventure seekers, known as Color the Trails, has been growing since 2017 and building a richer outdoor adventure community in BC. Judy Kasiyama founded Color the Trails after arriving in Canada in 2010 and later settling in British Columbia. Judy was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but left as a refugee with her family, settling first in Australia, then in the U.S., and eventually in Canada. Having learned to cultivate a relationship with the outdoors wherever she lived, Judy quickly took to the trails around her home in B.C. While she saw some diversity on the trails, the fabric of Canada's outdoor industry still looked pretty homogenous, i.e. white and especially white male-dominated. So she founded Color the Trails in 2017 to provide opportunities for Black, Indigenous, and people of color to learn hiking, mountain biking, skiing, and snowboarding as a community. Since then, the group has expanded and even has chapters in Alberta and Ontario. On today's episode, I chat with Judy about diversifying Canada's outdoor adventure industry, how the conservation and leave-no-trace movements can be less exclusionary, how white folks can help keep their Black, Indigenous, POC, and queer friends safer in white-dominated spaces, and the joy of colorful outdoor fashions. I'm Megan Dallaire, and this is Catch Me Outside. And before we get into the show, I want to thank everyone who has subscribed, um, recommended the show to friends, left a rating or a review, and followed Catch Me Outside on Instagram. Uh, we are now on Facebook and TikTok as well. So if you'd like to reach out to suggest future episode topics or for any other reason, the podcast's handle across all social media is Catch Me Outside Podcast. You can also email catchmeoutsidepod at gmail.com. That's pod, not podcast. Don't ask me why I didn't just go with podcast because I don't remember. Um, with that out of the way, let's get to it. Better? Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 That's a lot better. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you. Okay. Awesome. Yay. All right. Thank you for, for putting up with the, the rocky start to get, to get here. Um, but I'm really glad to have you on the show and really excited to talk to you. No, thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate it. I know we've been back and forth. That's life. It's all good. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just, I want to talk to you about how Color the Trails came to be and, um, you know, how how this project is going um, 
when did you start Color the Trails exactly? I started Color the Trails about five years now, five years okay. ago. And yeah, it's it's going. <laughs> um, uh, Color the Trails operates with community well-being. So we basically create opportunities for the Black, Indigenous, and racialized communities to access nature um, through um, um, offering safe spaces for them to come learn and grow as individuals. Um, And hopefully through our programs that they can find their passion, but also become steward of the land um, alongside supporting um, initiatives to better take care of the wild spaces that we all interact with. Um, Mm. So yeah, that's what what we've been doing. That's, uh, I just, yeah, it's just so awesome. And I mean, um, I wonder too, like there are movements, there are similar um, movements and projects in the U.S. as well. Is there a lot of like collaboration between Color the Trails and 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 similar movements like South of the Border? Um, Actually, not really. Like, I mean, I am connected with a lot of folks in the U.S., but I really try to center my work on the Canadian experience because I feel that oftentimes when we do this kind of work here in Canada, we're constantly concentrating in the U.S. Well, um, it kind of takes away the voices and the experiences of what it means to be a Black person in Canada, uh, what it means to be a brown person in Canada or Indigenous person in Canada. So a lot of my work is centering on Canadians and um, local communities and see how we can elevate and support them uh, while still partnering with and getting support as well from a lot of American organization and uh, bouncing off ideas um, with each other, mentoring each other. Um, but I really try to make sure that folks also understand that there is a bit of a cultural difference between what's south in the border and what's up here in Canada. And um, I think it's too easy sometimes when we co-opt um, to focus on the American narrative and then not focus on the narrative here at home. For sure. Yeah. You don't want to like undermine the history and the context here Mm -hmm. and people's experiences here by always like comparing it with experiences in the U.S. Exactly. uh, Because they're both valid. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And so um, I know you came to Canada from the DRC in 2010, right? Um, my journey has been kind of all over the place, okay. but I, um, I was born in the DRC, but we moved around a lot. So we were in South Africa, Australia, and then in 2010, we moved from the U.S. actually. So I was residing in the U.S. for 10 years. Um, and then in 2010, we moved here um, just due to having family here and their ability to sponsor us um, to be able to claim refugees. Um, so, uh, yeah. so. You know, I haven't been in Congo for 20 plus years, but oh wow, okay. Um, so yeah, um, I left when I was a child, but in terms of moving to Canada, I moved from Can- from the U.S. to Canada. Um, okay, yeah. And so, have you always had a relationship with with the outdoors and nature and wandering and adventuring? Um, you know, in the different places that you've lived. Um, and most certainly, yes. Like growing up in the Congo, there's like always that access to nature. Um, but I think as we moved to more and more urban setting, but there wasn't that access, um, but there were parks. And I think like, I, I think it's really important that when we talk about the outdoors, we don't just extend it to, 
you know, like the backcountry or the intense hike, but like just going, you know, walk in a park that is going in the outdoors, you know, um, just going by a local river that is going in the outdoors. So I think um, we need to kind of re- begin to reframe how we understand and see what the outdoors looks like. So I think that love for adventure, uh, because we moved around a lot and my mom was moving us around a lot. Um, so I think there is that sense of adventure kind of instilled and ingrained in me, just like this sense of wanting to explore and learn about different people, different culture and try new experiences. Um, like when we were in Australia, like swimming and the beach was a huge part of our lives because that's what everybody in Australia. <laughs> it's an island. <laughs> yeah, it's an <laughs> island, right? So, and then when we moved to the U.S., um, I, you know, we were more in way more in an urban setting. So maybe that connect that connection was disconnected for a time period. Um, but, you know, as we lived in all over from California, Connecticut and New York and then Boston. But in my teen years, I would go to summer camp. Right. So that is another way where I kind of kept in touch with nature. So it's just like, it wasn't sporadic or it was, it wasn't like the way I would say that most Canadians have grown, which I think, um, it's really another privilege. I think a lot of people don't recognize to be able to be born, for example, in Vancouver and have access to the ocean and to the mountain within 10, 15, 20 minute drive. Um, so uh, that is a, you know, geographical location plays into the privilege and the luck in which one is raised and born into or one has access to. So I think we always kind of forget that um, geography kind of plays into how we relate to the outdoors and nature and all these different activities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I and to your point about um, appreciating and and like recognizing and honoring parks and and like wilderness in urban places I think yeah I think that's really important too because like so so much of the population is concentrated in urban places and and also you know then that way people appreciate the 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 natural spaces near them and and yeah you know don't don't sort of forget about their local rivers and watersheds and and lakes and things like that Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I guess like you have such a unique perspective to be able to see that from, from so many different angles, like having lived in places where there's access to wilderness and having lived in places that are a lot more urban. So mm-hmm. it's so mm-hmm. cool that you can like bring that. Yeah. Bring that to, to color the trails. And so I know living in Canada and the U S um, and, and maybe even in Australia, cause it's very white in Australia, <laughs> you <laughs> notice that like the outdoor industry and and the whole community was like really uh um homogenous like really yeah. really white once you decided that you wanted to start um influencing other people and 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 kind of like diversifying the outdoors if i can you know put it that way how did you start to actually make that happen like how did you start to reach people and and connect with people and and get people out into the outdoors more how does somebody do that turn turn their personal like experience with the outdoors into something that affects and impacts other people because I think it's just so cool (laughs) yeah um I think there's always this really weird notion or assumption that we are the only one when we are really into something 
but all it takes is a pause and doing a community survey. And, you know, when I go on hike, try to make eye contact with diverse people that I was coming across on the hike, um, reaching out to community organizations and just be like, hey, I like doing these things. Um, are there anybody else in the community that enjoy doing these things, right? So, um, and then through that, and then through being very persistent, I believe, like, um, I think sometimes, you know, when we, a lot of people are afraid of failure. Um, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid, they're afraid to um, start something and have nobody show up. Because I think just in the context of how our society works right now and social media works right now, it's like, you want the following, you want the big name and X, Y, Z. And then so that because you don't have that, it discourages you from even pursuing your goals. So for me, I didn't go into this seeking any of like the influencer role or all these things. I went into it because I genuinely enjoy being outside. And I also went on it because more of a selfish reason, because I was like, wow, I'm doing all these things, but I also want to have more of my Black friends join me doing these things so that I'm not the only one in this space. I know I'm not the only one in this space. I know there's other people like me who love doing these things. And I just want to reunite us all and basically um, have us have a community where we can do these things together and not feel isolated. So for me, it was more about bringing community together and bringing people together and especially people who may have a love for the outdoors, but then not be able to interact with other people who have their love for the outdoors because like their everyday life is completely different. Whether somebody works in IT, somebody works in medicine. So Color the Trails is more like a community hub where we put together all these activities and then you see the amazing friendship that's beginning to formulate. Um, you see the connection that is authentic, that is genuine, and that is fueled by the love of doing an activity together. Um, so that now if you want to do kayaking, you know somebody that you did an intro to kayaking with. You may have exchanged um, Instagram. You can reach out to them and be like, hey, I'm going to go do this activity. Would you mind joining me? And if anything, um, being in Vancouver and I you know, there was a, a, a research a couple of years ago, um, you know, like I did my market research. I, you know, there's a lot of great groups um, that were all over Facebook, uh, Facebook groups. There are women's hiking group. There are safe spaces for um, the LGBTQ plus um, community to be able to also be able to recreate safely. And then there's groups that just like for everyone to be able to join. Uh, right. So for me, it's not as if Hello the Trolls came and um, is like, oh, all these people are excluding me. No, I came in with like, hey, um, there's all these amazing groups doing amazing things, but I'm also going to create another safe space for another demographic of people who may not be as advanced or may not have all of the gear as this other groups do because they're very hardcore, but I'm going to create a safe space for people who are curious or interested to be able to be in that space. And um, Vancouver is also known as a very lonely city um, because it's very, um, people have their groups and it's really hard if you're new to the city to be able to break into those groups. It's hard to make friends. Um, I've been here since 2012 and I would say only 
in the last couple of years that I feel like I have a good group of friends because um, it's just like a very hard city to uh, make connection. Unlike I lived in Toronto, I lived in Hamilton. It was very easy to make friends there. And I've lived in other cities where it's easy to make friends, but Vancouver is very difficult. And this, there's been research done about it. Um, huh. So it's not that um, I'm making this up, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vancouver Foundation released uh, a research that was done um, regarding how Vancouver is a very lonely city. So for me, I just wanted to pre, because I've experienced that. I wanted to create a safe space, especially if there are students coming here to study and maybe are curious about the outdoors or, you know, they're just like wanting to make friends. Call of the Trails offer that. People are transferring jobs. Call of the Trails offer that space for people to come, learn a new skill and then make connection. And that's what it is. It's a community hub where um, folks who are within like, you know, um, visible minority, however way you want to phrase it, can come and be able to connect with other members of the community and um, yeah, that's what it's really about. But also working closely with brands, you know, before BLM, I was doing this work before BLM and, you know, not garnering a lot of support. Not a lot of people fully saw the vision that I had about diversity and inclusion and why it was even important. So I went to school to study international development. So I did global policy as well as, um, I took history classes, like I have a concentration in history and took a lot of gender, gender study classes because all those things intersect. Um, all those things play a role into how the world function, right? So, uh, but I didn't go into school to business, but also because of, I did take some business courses with my international development degrees. One thing I know is it's important to do a market research and it's also important to diversify your market. So if you are a brand or if you are a business and you're not diversifying, um, keeping in touch with how uh, geographically everything extending and expanding, then you are really just like not really able to reach a different demographic of people and your mark, you know, your business will be you know, become small to a point where you're having a hard time attracting people to your business. So for me, I also noticed that there's not a lot of opportunity or engagement for folks in that space. I mean, okay, so you, you were doing this work before, before BLM. And 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 brands and and like people in the the corporate world weren't really understanding or or weren't receptive. And then BLM happened and and became very um, like mainstream and and like accepted and and stuff or or whatever. I don't know if that's the right like language, but like and then these these brands and and the industry started to come around. Like, how did that feel? I mean, I guess on one hand, it might have been somewhat validating or a relief that they're finally listening but that it took violence and and death and and like brutal attacks on on black people and on racialized people being in the news for them to come around yeah I don't know like how did how did that feel um for me in some ways I was very disappointed in this brands coming around because I was like I had reached out to you even like a few months prior us going into lockdown and you refused, 
you know, be, because we didn't know that COVID was yeah. coming and, you know, we will be closing. I think a lot of us just thought it would be for a week or two, right? We didn't expect, expect it to be for two years yeah. <laughs> or an, an ongoing, right? So for me, in some ways, I was just like very disappointed because I was like, wow, like if you really truly believe in what you are putting out as statement now, you would have done the work before we got to this point, yeah. right? And there were some brands who were doing the work prior and continue to do the work continuously. And there were brands and just like everybody, um, people began to wake up and recognize like, hey, there is a systematic issue and there is an issue and we've all played a role in it and maybe we need to start changing. And for me, in some ways I was like, well, I'm sad that it had to take a black man, black man and, you know, racialized folks to be con- murdered, you know, <laughs> who's murdered was, you know, broadcasted for all of us to see and for us all to see that trauma, um, for us to kind of wake up uh, instead of really listening to community builders and leaders who've been advocating in this space. But at the same time, too, I always talk about how my work is always will be rooted in grace and understanding. And I think that's a huge component of how Color the Trolls is continue to succeed and do the work is because we understand that, you know, in one way in our life journey as humans, we are blinded by our own privilege. We're blinded by our own kind of like circle of friends that we kind of interact with. So grace has to be the center of how we do activism and understand that, you know, while we may be screaming X, Y, Z, um, and people weren't listening, but we all come into a journey on our own terms and our own timing. And for a lot of people, the BLM movement and everything that happened around that time was when they were finally catching up um, to the larger conversation about systematic barriers and um, systematic oppression. Um, Because like, you know, a lot of people assume like those oppression only impacts black people or other racialized communities, but that system also um, impact white people because like, you know, because, you know, you're raising a system where you think the world is fair and equitable. And then with injustice like this happen, you begin to realize that, hey, it's actually not that. You know, so it's not just BLM, it's, you know, as we begin to even see our stories unfold regarding indigenous children and um, yeah. what has happened and, you know, all these unmarked graves that is now in the thousands. And, genocide. <laughs> yeah, genocide. It is genocide. And yeah. now to see Canadians finally be like, oh, this is not the Canada. No. And I was like, that's actually very insulting for you to see this is not the Canada, you know, because you were shielded and you were, you know, you were hidden from knowing the truth and you disregarded the people who lived through that trauma, who lived through that genocide. You disregarded the lived experience for so yeah. long. And now because it's out in the open, you're saying you didn't know. I'm like, I grew up in Australia. I went to school in Australia for the first couple of years when we moved to DRC. That's where I learned English and stuff. But I was like, mm-hmm. you know, Australia has its own problem. But we, I learned about how indigenous people were treated in mm-hmm. Australia. So for me, I already was aware, you know, as an eight-year-old child that, you know, children were taken from their parents and put into residential schooling. So I was like, that was being taught to me. And, um, and and because I value knowledge and I value learning, I also like would learn a lot of read different books, you know, take the time to 
be responsible for my own knowledge and how I see things and not solely rely on the school system and not solely rely on whatever media is putting out, but also taking the time to read other people's experiences, whether I agree with it or not. I think it's important. It's a, it's like, you know, all of us individually had to be, how to put in the time to read the different experiences, especially when it's different than ours. Um, and then that way we're not like, oh, I didn't know. Um, you chose not to know there's a difference. (laughs) You know, public education hasn't really done a good job, at least in Ontario of, um, you know, teaching kids about, about the like acts of genocide that the federal government has committed. But yeah, like you said, like you, it also behooves you to like, just be curious and challenge the narrative and do some research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's it's interesting because like 2019 is when I became a Canadian citizen. So I took the Canadian exam, which was interesting in itself. And even like reading through the material, how much Indigenous voices were erased in the material. Um, I, I would really recommend that fellow Canadians to go and download the book mm. um, and just read through it and see what is in there. Because as um, somebody who took uh, courses on history, I took a lot of indigenous history courses. So as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm studying to become a Canadian. Um, I'm seeing those experiences being erased or minimized or just like a page and a half talking about indigenous people and that's it. Or a page and a half touching about the contribution of black Canadians, the contribution of the Asian communities, especially the Chinese community with the railroad. So like, you know, so it's really interesting even how, you know, in the process of becoming a Canadian, how that narrative is being controlled, Mm. um, how that narrative is not being shared. So um, I just think that, you know, it's it's really interesting, but I know I get a lot of hate. I get a lot of messages that's disrespectful, disregarding my lived experience. I would never go into somebody and disregard their lived experience because I did not live that experience. Yeah. What I ask is supposed to be respectful of my lived experience, whether or not you agree or whether or not you believe, you just at least be respectful of that as a fellow human. And um and I know like, you know, situation even sharing this, people may not agree with, you know, why my work is important and like, you know, I get the comments like, well, the outdoors is welcoming. Um, the outdoors doesn't see color, but it's interesting. Like the spaces that we share in the backcountry, the people who are in the backcountry hold prejudice, holds biases. So that when I do enter that space and they see me, the mannerism change, you know, how they treat me change and it puts my life in danger. It makes yeah. me feel unsafe because of the habits and the ways in which people think in seeing me less than or seeing me that I don't belong in that space, you know, in the same manner in which women don't belong in certain spaces. Um, so I think it's really interesting conversation. And I feel like Canada is slowly having those conversations, but I feel at times I'm, you know, many of us are kind of beyond the basic conversation. Um, Well, I want to focus on like the why I'd rather focus on the how in terms of how do we solve these issues because it's there and it's not going anywhere. Well, and I mean, like, (laughs) aside from the very important purpose of, of your mission, um, it's also just like creating joy. <laughs> and what's wrong with that, right? Like yeah. you're creating joy for people who and and creating community. Like how can anyone find anything wrong with that? I mean, 
yeah, it just seems like such a joyous thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. No, joy is the center of Call of the Trails. And I'm, it's so interesting that, you know, just you've never come to our events or you've just seen what we do on social media. And that is the sentiment that you're picking up. And that's exactly what I go for. I go with the joy. I go with the celebration because I think for a lot of time, people assume as a Black woman or a Black person that our life is steered by trauma and pain. Well, in reality, I want to kind of break that stereotype too, that our life is fruitful, our life is joyful, and we find pleasure in doing these things in the outdoors. And that is what Color the Trails is. And just like everybody, we all go through hard time. Ours, sadly, as racialized communities, is a systematic oppression, which is oppressing everybody, not just Black folks. But we're all kind of, you know, in this weird system, I know, <laughs> assimilation or however way you want to call it. Yeah. And we're just, some of us are very blind. And But yeah, I centered my work around grace and joy because um, for me, I want us to also have joy. I want BIPOC folks to come out and have fun learning to bike, have fun learning to ski. And for me, it just brings us back to that joyfulness of when we were children and having that carefree life as children. And, and I hope that Color of the Trails offers that space. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> this is, I don't know, maybe a bit of a sh- like shallow note to, to bring up, but also like your outfits, your backcountry <laughs> outfits. I, I live for them. Like you make it look so fun and fashionable. I'm like, I just wear whatever uh, color is on sale somewhere. <laughs> Like, or whatever I find like thrifting. So it's like everything this year is green because green is what's on sale. But I live for your backcountry outfits. Like they're so colorful and joyous. And I never uh, even made the connection that color the trails and and your colorful outfits might be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, because I love color. Um, And that's why I was like color the trails just because, you know, I think people think if you're in the backcountry or doing these things, you can be stylish. I love fashion. I love style. So and I incorporate that into my everyday um everyday style when I'm in the backcountry where I'm skiing and doing all this thing I want to look cute I want to feel great and fashion is another form of artistic expression for me um so yeah like I I love bright colors and I think we should all be wearing more colors instead of just black and grays (laughs) yeah I I don't know I feel like you must get like people must just want to come talk to you and like ask you questions and like just like what is she about who is she I need to talk to that woman because like she looks so fun and so cool like um I think I'm a very friendly person like I love talking to everybody my partner always laughs like when we're out skiing if he takes the the lift like by himself yeah. And then I'm taking it with like a, a group of strangers. Like I always come out with a friend because <laughs> um, I'm just like chatty uh, with yeah. people. And I think, you know, there's just that nature about me, right? Um, that's just who I am. I'm friendly. I'm welcoming. And I just want to connect. You know, I think like as humans, we always want to connect with people. But I also like through that gentleness and that, to that kindness, I also have very strong boundaries and things I would not cross and d- yeah. demand respect. So it's like, you know, I think sometimes like people assume because I'm nice that, you know, I'm kind and like I'm somehow weak. And I was like, no, I I know my value. I know my worth and I stand on those values and worth. Yeah, I mean, and I 
I think like to be a good leader, you it's kind of like a universal quality that people who who other people put their trust in have is, you know, like this person's not going to be a pushover, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems mm-hmm. like a good quality of a leader. And so I wanted to ask you about leave no trace mm-hmm. and, and conservation and sort of the like prejudice and like systemic racism that exists in that movement as mm-hmm. well. Leave no trace is obviously a, a really, really, really important component of, you know, like outdoor education and just like recreating like responsibly and being good stewards. Um, but it can also be really exclusionary. What are your thoughts on how like the outdoor community, I guess, can teach and honor that, that, that idea of like conservation and and stewardship and everything without being so exclusionary and like prejudiced? Yeah, um, I would say like outdoor conservation flat out has not really done much work in terms of actually being inclusive. Yeah. Um, and I've been working in this industry and I see things and I know things and I'm like, you know, they haven't done anything to welcome uh, BIPOC into that space or if they do, it's a very tokenistic way. Yeah. Um, for me, leave no trace. It's just more of ensuring folks like because like, yeah, people are new to the outdoors. But I think there's also a false assumption, which um, a lot of people assume that it's the BIPOC community who are the one out creating the mess um, in the yeah. outdoors. And because like, you know, because they might be new to the outdoors, because again, like you said, like the visual representation may not click for a lot of people. But when I've done some, a lot of backcountry stuff, very like multi-day backpacking. And I've been gone to hikes where, you know, that are popular, unpopular, X, Y, Z. But I've also noticed a big thing is that the majority of people that make a mess or leave a mess are not people of color. It's entitled white folks is, um, who are the one creating a mess. There is a hike here in Squamish where you can take a boat, cross the river um, and hike up or you can fly in. Um, with a helicopter and it's a beautiful hike and the sad part about that hike is during just after the pandemic there was already a little bit of an issue before because it's one of those parks where it's kind of like first come first serve so it's not like this reservation system um and already noticed the tendency in which um when you're hiking up how people fly in with all of their stuff party for the weekend, and then leave all of their stuff there. And it's not the BIPOC folks, you know, who are affording to do this. Um, It is like white people who are up there flying in with like so much stuff and then party, drink, whatnot, don't respect in terms of where do you go using outhouse or like, you know, following the principles and how, you know, use the bathroom X, Y, Z. Like they're actually doing it near the water. There's, I've confronted other white people who are feeding wildlife and I'm like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And they ignore me. They just like diss me. And then, I, you know, if somebody else in my group is white, tells them, then they listen. So for me, it's like, it's not a matter of, you know, when it comes to principle of conservation, there's always this no false notion that, oh, you know, the comments that I get that I read is like, oh my goodness, the outdoors is going to be ruined now with this organization bringing BIPOC because like, you know, they don't know anything. And it's like, no, actually, 
BIPOC folks are super sensitive and understanding that all of us are settlers on this land. And how do we, you know, how do we work towards reconciliation? And how do we also make sure that, you know, we're not, you know, leaving minimal impact? And and I don't want to generalize all BIPOC just in the same way I don't want to generalize all white people. But at the same time, too, I think it's like a really terrible um, notion and belief and idea that targets BIPOC uh, when in reality, oftentimes it's not them who are creating these issues in area conservation. Mm -hmm. And just even if people actually take the time to read and understand climate change and what's happening, it is people in the global South. And I'm using this term global South because um, internationally, that's what they mm-hmm. use, yeah. um, such as like Africa, South America. They're the one being impacted the most by all these climate change. Um, they omit less emission than developing countries, yet they're the one who are being punished for it. Right. So for me, it's just like really frustrating how there's a huge disconnect when it, when we talk about conservation. We assume that. And this is part of the system, again, that creates a pretty false narrative that, you know, um, that it's the BIPOC community who's doing that. Let's let's go back in history. Let's talk about Victorian England and how gross it was and how disgusting it was. Yeah, industrial revolution. Let's talk about that. So, but people like forget. And that's what I say. People don't study history so they don't know. And I was like, you can come at me, but I actually did my research. I've done my studies. I can reference you in books. I can, you know, know just like a weird article that was published on social, that peered review article. That means multiple people can attest to this article um, or these published books. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just like um, when it comes to conservation, I think we need to expand our conversation and include really indigenous also indigenous people who lived on this land who have stewarded this land who understand this land better than any of us who are coming here um to listen to them and to let them lead this area of conservation because if we were to follow and let indigenous people lead in this area i'm pretty sure we wouldn't be having the insane fires that we're having each year you know all these different things that's happening i'm pretty sure we will be you know, actually becoming into relationship with nature. And I think there's a difference between being an outdoor enthusiast, like, you know, enjoying hiking and doing this thing and actually having a relationship, you know, because, you know, if you're only going to the outdoors to camp on weekends, you don't really have a relationship. It's just like a in and out, but like, what does it mean to have your own personal relationship with nature? You know, and we can yell. And I always kind of talk to other conservation groups and tell them, like, you can scream, save the whale, save the whale. But if people have never seen the ocean or people have never seen the beauty of the whale, why, you know, and they live in a very congested urban setting where there's, you know, no safe space for them and their children to play. Why would they come and advocate to save the whale when they're they're immediate need aren't being met and when there aren't safe spaces for them to be able to explore. So how are they going to come save the, your whales, you know, uh, when you are not doing anything to also um, be able to support that. And I think when we talk about climate justice and all these things, we also have, we kind of forget about the human element. We can have climate justice without human justice. And that includes listening 
and supporting the BIPOC communities and also sharing their knowledge and working in partnership, not as, you know, white people telling them what to do, um, but rather in partnership to solve these issues because we have one earth and I always say planet earth is a very interesting group project. We all have to live with each other <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we need to figure out how to do so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think listening more to, to indigenous like outdoor leaders and organizations and, um, and people in general, I think would just benefit everyone in, in Canada. And if we had mm-hmm. done that from the first place, like or from the beginning, yeah, we'd all be, we'd all be uh, a lot better off. Um, and your, your point about the, the fly in hike just made me think of like, when you, if you're, you know, like lucky enough to fly on a plane and you're walking off the plane at the end of the flight and you walk through first class and it's just like littered with garbage and there's mm-hmm. just stuff everywhere. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, cause you're just coming in and somebody else is going to clean it up and it doesn't matter because you paid yeah, for, the, exactly. for the privilege to do yeah, that. Exactly, you're a taxpayer, exactly. you paid for yeah. the ticket, you whatever. And then, you know, if you don't have an emotional relationship with the place, then yeah. Like, and so what are you excited for in the coming year, either for Color the Trails or for you personally? Um, yeah. Um, I, for me personally, I've uh, I learned to mountain bike about in twenty twenty. So what, two years now? So this is like my first, second ish full season. So because um, I learned in the summer, took some. Yeah, I wasn't riding every day. But I've joined a mountain biking race team that I help co-create um, <gasps> to so really cool. express root organization, really fostering and supporting folks who are curious about racing, but not sure how. So I've partnered up with a local business and together this woman, Jacqueline, who owns Essential Cycle, her and I work together with Call of the Trails um, in terms of our mountain biking mentorship programs. And uh, we came together and create a race team. So I'm looking forward to racing enduro this summer um so that'll be yeah just more as more of a fun just you know see where i am um which i think is pretty cool um and hopefully with borders and stuff opening up being able to travel and do a little bit more camping and backpacking but in terms of like color the trails i'm just like i'm just more open to see the growth um be able to introduce people into new things I was super excited with this winter program, our Color the Slopes program, where we introduced 150 people to learn to ski and snowboard in all various levels from beginner to intermediate to advanced. Um, So being able to do that just like in two months was really just amazing. And then moving forward, just trying to see how we can continue to create more mentorship programs for our members so that they can continuously grow um, find their passion and continue. So working with a lot of different brands and trying to strategize how do we support people, but also get people certified so that if folks want to work in that space, how do we also include, you know, uh, diversity of employment in the outdoors? Ooh. Because all of the guiding, all of these things are mostly white folks um, who are doing these jobs. But we also want to create opportunities for the BIPOC communities, for those, especially those who are interested in becoming a guide or interested in doing these things as a profession, um, Color of the Trolls wants to be kind of in the forefront of leading that. 
That's so cool. And it just makes so much sense as like a logical progression, like for, yeah, from, from like introducing people to certain sports or whatever. Um, that's so cool. So how many programs does, or like programs or I guess workshops does Carly the Trails run right now? Um, it varies per season. So we just wrapped up our winter season, which was skiing, snowboarding, um, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, um, ice climbing. Uh, I think that's all that we did. So yeah, we did all that. That was our winter programming. And then come spring and summer, there's a lot of different activities we do, such as stand up paddleboarding, um, mm. kayaking. We do, we're going to hopefully do some backpacking with the crew, learn to camp, kind of program. Uh, mountain biking is our very most popular activity. It's, it's very interesting. Like everybody just can't wait to get That's into exciting. that. Um, <laughs> climbing, whether it's inside or outdoor bouldering. So yeah, those are just kind of like the, the kind of adventure we're up to. And you have like a gear library for people who, who don't have gear to start out with or? Um, no. So when we do our intro courses, all of the gear is provided. Okay. And if we do mentorship uh, program, which is always a select group of people, um, they always will get gear in support of that. Okay. But in terms of a gear library, Vancouver is very expensive. Um, storage is very expensive. So we haven't yet found a better solution, a proper solution in terms of being able to maintain a gear library for folks. So we are trying to find a solution in which we will be offering that. Um, and perhaps this is a conversation I'll be having with some of our sponsors to see how do we come together and find a space for Color the Trails to be able to put a gear library together for folks that can be rented at a small fee for folks, um, more so for accountability, uh, making sure things are returned um, in good in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's a, that can be a safety thing too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> harnesses exactly. and stuff. Um, yeah. and yeah, like yeah. on a sort of side note, okay. So you're really into mountain biking and, and I think you're also really into like skiing, right. Or, or snowboarding mm -hmm. more skiing. Are, yeah. are you a fast sports person? Is that, is that like, do you just like, like to go like bomb down a hill and go fast or, <laughs> I mean, you hike um, too, but you strike <laughs> me as like a, move fast kind of yeah um I don't know I just like the thrill of it like it's like and I think the reason why I enjoy them because the progression is super fast to see like from one week like you know learning how to brake on a mountain bike and then two weeks later to being able to figure out the braking system and then being able to go through certain terrain of trails that's are very difficult. So for me, I think I like the mental challenge of a sport. So I like things that like challenge me mentally and like forces me to like really self-assess self in terms of my own risk um, taking, right? So um, all those sports are very high risk level. Like mountain biking, like especially if you're mountain biking in North Vancouver, which is like the mecca of mountain biking, it's just like the hub where everybody comes and it's well known, then it's, it, it's, uh, it's a very difficult terrain. So for me to go from 2020, not knowing how to bike to 2021, being able to ride some of the black steep trails and scary trails, uh, when, you know, when you're hiking up it, you're like, I can't believe people ride that on a bike. And that was in my initial assumption. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's just more those sports allows me to see my progression, but also yeah. challenge me in terms of how brave I feel and 
what is my brave level? You know, there's sometimes <laughs> I walk things and be like, today I'm not brave. I'm walking this and that is okay. And, um, and I love those sports because it gives me opportunity to say no. And it's well accepted within the culture. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable with something, you're not consenting to something, nobody is allowed to force you to do it. Um, that's what I love about mountain biking. Skiing is, I love, you know, it's a different kind of culture. And through Color of the Trails, we're really trying to reshape that culture. But it's more about how, um, how do we come together as a collective and uplift each other? Because it is a very expensive sport. Um, it's not cheap. But then I, you know, working with local resorts to subsidize those activities so that folks can get into it and then decipher themselves if this is an investment that they want to make. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, like I enjoy fast sports, but I love sports that requires me to kind of think I like to use my brain. So yeah, um, I feel like it's, you like the steep learning curve and like the high risk and high reward. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 I can, I get that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that, that you want to leave people with that maybe we haven't touched on or Mm -hmm. or anything like that that you want to say no pressure like yeah no I think we've covered a really great conversation if anything I always say this and this is our motto our color the trails is community starts with an invitation and Mm. for those of us who are have skills or have a passion and we just want to share that joy of that skill and that passion with others Make sure before you reach out that you are creating a safe space for them and that when you do invite them into that space that you support them in any way that they need help. Um, I think it's, you know, sometimes we want to do good and support other people because we're excited, but then we don't do the work to create that safe space. So I think it's like really important that as we want to share our joy, our interest with others, that we are also creating a space that allows them to come and feel safe and feel seen and feel heard and respected, most importantly, um, and then be able to kind of uh, be able to foster that love. And, um, and yeah, I don't think I really have anything. I would just say, like, you know, check us out on social media before you have any assumption about us um, and my work and what I do. I think it's really important to take the time to read, learn and understand before making judgment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of like, um, you know, creating a safe, a safe space for somebody who, who might not feel totally safe, um, you know, recreating and being in a, in a community that is like dominated by white people and, and, and where there's like systemic racism, um, can, can that include things like, you know, just like making sure that like, if you're, if you're with a group of people, you're kind of like vetting, making sure everyone who's there is also going to be like, yes, yes. you know, like a, a good person to, yes. to be around and not like somebody who's going to be racist, who's going to make exactly really disrespectful yeah. comments. And yeah, exactly. Like vetting the space, vetting the people who are coming in. Um, but then also have a plan in action. Don't be a standby. Don't don't stand by when somebody is experiencing something negatively. Stand up and speak up and protect that friend. Re- protect the people that you're inviting. Um, and that just that doesn't just go in that space, but that also goes in your everyday life. Like, what are we doing um, to stop racist comment or sexist comment? 
um, being saying, are we calling those people out when they make those comments or are we staying silent? Because when you are staying silent, you are perpetrating that, you know, that harm, right? So silence is not a solution. So what are you doing to speak up and what are you doing to, you know, utilize your privilege to make sure that, you know, you're also taking a lot of that learning that comes from the BIPOC and like you are also teaching your own community, your own people, your own family, your own friends about why these things are wrong and why we should all, you know, do better, you know? Um, and there's a quote, you know, there's a quote by Maya Angelou that I love that says that, you know, now that I know better, I do better. And I, that's all I just ask that we all do um, just to do better. I would like to end this interview with a very serious question. What is the best backcountry meal you've ever had? And what is the worst backcountry meal you've ever had? Oh, the best backcountry meal um, that I ever have is, um, I'm weird. I love bringing avocados. (laughs) So the backcountry, you know, I protected it at all costs. Um, <laughs> I love making scrambled eggs with mm-hmm. um, sausage and just like topping it up with like avocado. I think that's like the best kind of just getting all that fat into my system because you're hiking for such a long time. Yeah. Um, so Plus it comes with its own wrapping. It's like. Exactly. It's and it's like really easy skin. to like, you know, pack out as well. So it's yeah. not like, you know, big bulky and in terms of like the worst I'm not I find like even though I eat it I'm not really a big fan of like the pre-made kind of like astronaut food oh yeah the freeze-dried stuff yeah yeah um because I've noticed that my body doesn't like it so it's hard because it's the easiest form but I'm learning to how to use just like my everyday ingredient um to cook in the backcountry yeah, um, I'm not saying it's the worst. I'm just saying that it's just not my favorite. Like I, um, because I've tried a lot of things, and that by far is not my favorite. So yeah, um, it's not the worst. Uh, I think it's great, especially when you're doing other trips and why not dehydrated food is great. But if you yeah. can buy your own, if you can create your own, it's even better. <laughs> ha- have you had something? Have you had a meal that? that was just like a total flop, like whether it was something you made or someone else made or like a dehydrated one? No, because I think like you're so hungry (laughs) in the backcountry that you just, everything tastes good to be quite honest. Like you're so hungry. You have very limited option. It's not, you can call Uber or X, Y, (laughs) Z. So like you have a very limited option. So everything, I don't know. I think everything tastes amazing in the backcountry because your body is just craving food. It's kind of true. Yeah. There are things I eat in the backcountry that I just like wouldn't, wouldn't normally eat whenever, when I have other choices. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been like super fun to talk to you and it's like been on my bucket list for a while. So really, really glad you came on the show. Thank you, Megan. I really appreciate Mm -hmm. it.